God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this 16th Sunday after Pentecost through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Last week I'm heading home from church and I turn right here at the corner of uh, Lindley, right off Roy Rogers here, and uh, right in front of me I see a, a little snake in the road. You know, just one of these little thin little, you know, garden snakes. And immediately I put on the brakes and try to swerve around it, you know, Good thing nobody was behind me. They, they probably would have, uh, have hit me. And I watch in my rearview mirror as I continue on, hoping my tires didn't smash even an eighth of an inch of its tail. As I continue on home, it hits me. Why did I do that? Why did I react that way? It's just a snake. Who cares if it gets run over? It shouldn't be in the road anyway. It's asking to get run over. Not only that, I thought, it's also a symbol of evil. You know, I mean, Adam and Eve, our first parents, were lied to by the snake, the devil in disguise. So why did I have so much compassion and concern for a dumb, evil snake, even though, uh, and uh, you know, enough to break and get out of its way? You know, what would you have done? The same thing, <laughs> run it over. I don't know. Some of you may not have paid any attention and just run it over, or maybe you would have, uh, maybe you would have purposely run it over. I don't know. Can it be though that faith informs action? Is it possible that one's faith in Jesus Christ causes him or her to think a, a certain way and act upon it? Hold on to that question. I'll get back to the snake. You know, it's the, it's the preacher's dilemma every Sunday that he has to assume what might be on the mind of the people who have come to listen on a Sunday morning. You know, I could present a question to you like I just did a second ago, but that might, be, that might not be the question that's on your mind. How do I know what's on your mind? I can't. Besides, you're also... You know, you all have differing concerns and things going on in your life. So every Sunday, I just have to kind of take a stab at it and hope for something, hope, hope for the best, hope that at least a few of you might get your question or your concerns addressed. You know, if not, there's always next Sunday, right? Yeah. Being as that is, I doubt any of you are sitting here today thinking or believing that the United States of America is Zion. Anybody, raise your hand if anybody believes that the U.S. is Zion. Right. Crickets. I thought as much. Yeah. Do you even know what Zion is? I mean, I, I'm not sure all of us do. Zion is one of those churchy words we hear a lot on Sunday. You know, but what does it mean? Yeah, the New Jerusalem, yeah. It's a place. You know, it's also a thing. Uh, it shows up many times in the Old Testament. It's also in the New Testament as well, but mostly in the Hebrew Scriptures. You hear Zion, and it can refer to several different things depending on what the author is talking about. You know, it can refer to a mountain. It can refer to the city Jerusalem, a hill in Jerusalem that the temple is on, and the people Israel themselves are called Zion. Zion is several things and places which point to God, which signify God, that show that He is God and a light to the nations and all that. 
In Amos' case here in our text today, Zion is the land of Israel, particularly the southern part. The southern, it, it's where the capital Jerusalem is, right? It's where the people make pilgrimage to the, the temple. It's where the people look to and put their trust in, in the Lord because that's where everything happens, Jerusalem. And everything is provided to them, to the nation from that place. Like I said, I doubt any of us actually believe that our nation is Zion or the new Jerusalem. But there are Zionisms all around us. Are your ears attentive to the religiosity of American culture? Are you listening out there to what people are saying on the TV and the radio and the internet? In books and magazines? I hope so. It's not always Christian, folks. But you hear religious notions from all sorts of people. Celebrities, people in the aftermath of tragedy and illness or trauma. Anybody that's got some kind of public platform out there. We hear people talk of, a, of spiritual experiences. Redemption. Even salvation. TV shows are written about it now. But they're not referring to Jesus. We all use the things and look to the people we admire to change our life for the better. But when you think about it, it's kind of an American messianism, if that's even a word. You know, what I, what I mean is, well, let's take the previous president of the United States, for example. Remember early on how so many had put their trust in him as a kind of Messiah that would somehow inexplicably transform our nation into something better? That's all history now. But we do the same thing over and over again with other messiahs who are finally going to make things right, you know? Or how about our culture's obsessive romance with science and technology, you know? They're not just useful tools anymore. Now they serve a religious function in that people use them to make sense of the world and, and make sense of themselves in it apart from God. All this seems to be a present-day application of Amos' warning for Israel to stop being so complacent and arrogant as God's holy people. Amos has shaken his fellow countrymen and, and out of their national or religious denial that everything's going to be fine as long as we have this huge army and a rich and powerful king and a fortified capital city. Amos pleads with them to look around at the ruins of the neighboring countries who'd been trampled over by other nations, the Assyrians probably. Their vulnerability to invasion by outsiders was due to their own internal corruption. And I doubt that our vulnerability today is anything else. I'm not saying our nation is some kind of new Israel or Zion. But the Christian church in America is thoroughly embedded in society and we Christians are always at risk of letting our trust in people and things play second fiddle to our trust in God and our identity as his possession our God is a global God when you when you think about it he should be appealing to more people because these days well being global is a popular thing isn't it 
But we know God's version of being global goes way beyond national boundaries. You are just as much his loved possession as the man or woman standing somewhere on the other side of the planet. You know the place where you stood, the place where you rested, in his, you know, back in the days of Israel, you know, the land you existed on was so important to them. The land was everything to the Israelites. It was, it was connected to God. The, the land had its own kind of theology and underpinning that affected everyone and for generations had caused them to think and act in certain ways. By the time Amos came along, their faith had become distorted, and instead of viewing the land as a gift God had given them, they exploited it for their own gain. America is our place, our land. And as Christians, we confess to some degree that we are strangers and sojourners in it. I think we even have a couple of hymns that sing to that effect. But we, as any, have lost track of seeing it as a gift. Rather, it's often viewed as something our ancestors acquired, or perhaps we acquired on our own, our land, our property. But I'm saying for you and for me and all believers everywhere on earth, the place where you are has a godly dimension to it. It doesn't forgive your sins. It doesn't give you faith to believe or give you eternal life. Nevertheless, it points to the place that our Lord is preparing for you and me for eternity. He's preparing this place right now until we receive it. The place where we receive now is just as much a gift from God as the gift of faith, forgiveness, and eternal life. And it, and it points to that place that where we will be together for eternity. The new earth. And how much more for those who believe and trust that the Creator Himself, in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, came to rescue us, His human creatures. All of those who came before us and who believed, as well as generations of those who will come after until the time Christ returns. The way we think about and treat people and things in God's creation are informed by the fact that In Christ, we have been made a new person, a new creature. We have been given new hearts and minds to believe and reflect the love that Jesus has shown to us, reflect it back to him and back to his creation. I believe this is why I avoided that snake. It isn't just some warm fuzzy, I love all animals, because I don't love all animals, especially snakes. But this kind of transformation only comes to people like me and you because we humans are the ones Christ died for and rose again on Easter to redeem and restore and change to be more like Him and gain eternal life. The rest of creation, the animals, the plants, the planet itself continues to decay from its bondage to sin which goes all the way back to that time in the garden when Eve was lied to by the snake and fell for it. Jesus is returning very soon, and when he does, everything, the whole earth and all the planets, the whole universe, will be shaken to pieces and made new again. We will be made new again, too, even out of the grave or the urn, as some of us will have it. Until that time, we treat the rest of creation kindly 
as its creator and redeemer God would. The prophet Amos declared woe to a people who'd forgotten their true heritage, that their land was a gift from God and a foretaste of heaven and the new earth. Israel had switched from believing they were bound to God and were his possession to God was bound to them and was at his disposal. They had become nationalists first and believers second. The same temptation comes to us to think of ourselves as Americans first and Christians second. So how often we must be reminded that we are God's people twice by creation and recreation. Our ease, our security is not in the little Zions we imagine, but in the great and gracious God who gives himself and his gifts so lavishly upon us. So may his Holy Spirit keep you and me from sinful presumption and greed upon his grace and set our hearts on Jesus, his Son, whose blood cleanses us from all sin and restores us to a right relationship with the Father in heaven. Amen.